you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I've been thinking a lot lately about how we receive our news and the way it has changed uh, throughout the course of maybe the lives of uh, different generations in this room. Uh, the first morning new, or first evening news TV show didn't start until 1947. Uh, before then, you were getting your news on the radio or through the newspaper exclusively, right? So the first televised evening news was in 1947. The first televised morning news wasn't until 1953. Fast forward all the way to 1981 till you get CNN that you get 24-hour news. Uh, the, the, the revolution that that was that you wouldn't have to wait until six o'clock at night and time your dinner around it to see the news was astronomical. Now you had at 24-hour news, and if you uh, go another year, you get 24-hour weather channel. You don't have to look in the paper to find out if it's going to be rainy tomorrow. You can, you can see any time. Fast forward to the mid-90s, and you get CNBC and MS, or, yeah, CNBC, MSNBC, Fox News, all these channels coming out with uh, 24-hour news coverage and editorializing the news. You get um, the, the nascent beginnings of the internet. You get... Uh, uh, geocities, you get uh, tripod, and you begin to see these news groups beginning to try to build websites that were terrible. Uh, fast forward to the early 2000s, and you begin to get things like Google News, where you can go to a website and you can curate your own news. Well, I don't care about science and technology, so let me turn off that section of news. I want to hear about uh, celebrities. That is a legit channel on the news thing. I know this. Uh, and then we all get, start getting iPhones, right? We get smartphones where now our news is in our pocket, where at any moment we can get an alert that tells us what's going to happen. Fast forward a few more years and news begins to be the slow way of getting news. Uh, if you were like me, I get my news from Twitter and Instagram now. Uh, regularly, I'll get a breaking tweet that this thing has happened before any news source is reporting it. You'll see a trending topic that says uh, airstrikes in Yemen, and you will hear people tweeting from Yemen before it's hit any news place. I think there are positives and negatives to the uh, rapid access to information we have now, right? It is uh, good. I'm glad to see some people nodding their head. Uh, it is great that we now have kind of democratized information. In some ways, we're kind of moving aside the gatekeepers, and we can, we can know what's going on. But it's also wearisome that uh, information is nonstop. It is omnipresent. It is uh, hard to escape from. And often, you, uh, you'll find something that, that wounds you when you read it. And, uh, we went to the beach last summer with our kids, and, and I struggled because I realized how fragile life is, like how easy it was going to be for my son to get pulled out into the water, and then somehow every news story I read was about kids drowning. And over the last two years, uh, the great number of the news stories we've seen have been about uh, 
men in power using that power for evil. Across Hollywood and across gymnastics, across the church, across scouting, we've seen where uh, there's unmissed, uh, an unbelievable breadth of depravity, of primarily men using their power uh, in very harmful ways, and usually against our uh, most vulnerable, against women and children, and, and have done this in ways that are insidious. Because these are usually men who uh, are of great renown. They're the pillars in the community. They're the scout leader. They're the uh, gymnastics doctor. They're the parish priest. The good side of this is that people have learned that they're not alone and that we can actually take back uh, some agency. We see the birth of the Me Too movement and Church Too. We see uh, the Vatican recognized that they cannot push this under the table, and the Southern Baptist Church recognized that they have to deal with it as well. For the weariness of seeing this, we also recognize uh, the lasting impacts of what these men have done. Just this week, uh, Simone Biles dropped out of the Olympics, and it's for various mental health reasons. She also had the twisties, which is a new thing I've learned about, where uh, you can't find your orientation in the air. And she named it. One of the reasons she's still competing at her age is she didn't want to, for there to be anybody left who had been abused. She wanted to stand and, and bear witness to what had gone on in USA Gymnastics for decades. Because power for men use their power. There are scores of women and children and vulnerable folks across the land who are going to have lifetimes of, uh, of pain and trauma to deal with. There's nothing new under the sun, they say. History repeats itself. Powerful men have been using that power for uh, centuries, but now with our social media and digital media, uh, we can find that people are not alone. Instead of moving that priest to the next town and nobody knowing anything about it, instead of moving that Boy Scout leader over to another troop, now we, we can actually see some justice. But that doesn't undo the effects, right? We've been in the series, The Kings, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And for a long time, it was pretty much Kings, The Good, right? I mean, Saul, we kind of got out of the way pretty early, and then David has been this good guy. He's listened to God. He's sought out the leadership of the prophets. He has, uh, at turn after turn, listened to what God would have him do. He's been a man after God's own heart. And then we jump pretty quickly from David, who uh, wants to honor God and all that he does, to David, who turns inward. And instead of seeking what God desires, he looks out and takes what he desires. He looks out from his roof and sees Bathsheba, and we know where the story goes from there. Much like when uh, the first humans took from the, the fruit of the tree, David takes what is pleasing to his eye. For too long, we have coached the story in terms of uh, adultery, much like our gymnasts and our 
um, actresses and people in the church had no ability to say no. Bathsheba has no ability to say no, and we see her life ruined. It is clear that she loves Uriah, and she did not ask for this. And David covers up one sin with another. Bring Uriah here. He tries to cover it up in a way that maybe we can just play off that this didn't happen. Maybe Uriah can, can make things all right. But Uriah is a man of great character despite being a Hittite, uh, despite being an other. He is more pious in this moment than David is. And so in return for his piety, David uh, sends a letter with him to the field commanders and says, put him out front, make sure he dies. And so to cover his assault, he moves on to murder. This king after God's own heart, who had the ear of the prophets, who knew the priests, who had sought to build a permanent dwelling place for Yahweh in the midst of Israel, has sunk to the depths of depravity. Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, let me tell you a story, and uses this picture of uh, of sheep and taking what's not theirs. And David is indignant at how this, uh, this, this wealthy person would use someone else's sheep until Nathan says, but this is you. You have everything. And you went and took which wasn't yours because you wanted it. And David says, I am a sinner, forgive me. And Yahweh says, surely you will not die. Not just there. That alone is both a beautiful picture and a really hard picture, right? It's beautiful this amount of grace that God offers in the midst of our greatest depravity, and yet it's also awful because we look and go, how is he worthy of forgiveness? We say all sin is equal, but this seems wrong. And yet Yahweh receives his repentance and offers life. This is the difference between David and virtually every other king, for they're all depraved. But when called to repentance, he repents, and Yahweh offers life. Now, we don't want to sugarcoat that the realities of his actions go with him forever. Though God offers him life, though he is not uh, banished from the presence of Yahweh, his life is never the same. The realities of life with Bathsheba and Michael, with uh, their son and with uh, Solomon, the realities of Absalom and the breakdown in his family, uh, the consequences of his actions follow him despite God's grace. And you and I know that to be true, right? As a people who uh, God has forgiven freely and wholeheartedly, the consequences stick with us. And so I, I want to, to ask what we can do to avoid that. And I think we have to keep going all the way back to the, back, the beginning of this part of David's story. There's a turn where he stops seeking after God's heart and starts seeking after what he wants. As long as his eyes were set on the things of God... Things were good. 
And as soon as he trusted his own instincts and went after what he wanted, things fell apart. And that's the truth for so many of the powerful men in, in behind the Me Too movement, behind the Church Too movement, behind the outrage and scouting, behind all these stories as people who stopped or never did seeking God's heart, seeking to do what God would have them do. Without God's grace, we are totally depraved. We are no better than David in his worst moment. And yet we know that God's grace is freely given, lavishly given, and never contingent. We are invited to say, I am a sinner, forgive me, and to receive God's grace. And then we're invited into God's means of grace to to be transformed that, that that sin actually stops reigning in our lives. This has been the refrain of our morning prayer for 16 months now, is Lord, sanctify us. Pour out your sanctifying grace that we might be made holy in love. That we wouldn't seek after what our eyes desire. That we would go after the things you desire. This is our gift as a church, as Wesleyan Christians. Our gift that we believe we can be set free from sin and death. That we can actually say, I am no longer depraved. That God's grace has made me clean. He has given me a new spirit, and he has given me access to him through the means of grace. We don't have to be mediated through the priest. We don't have to go offer our sacrifices. Instead, we turn to God in prayer and say, here I am, Lord. But for the grace of God, there goes me, right? We hear this whenever a news story pops up. That could have happened to me. That could have happened to me. And I'd like to flip that, but by the grace of God, we could be the depraved one. The one giving in to our own desires. Imagine our world. If we all sought after God's face, after we desired what he desired, after we asked him to break our hearts for what breaks his hearts, after we said, help us grow in holy love. Imagine if our students go back into their schools bearing witness to God's goodness of being people who help heal the brokenhearted, who help bring love and forgiveness into their schools. Imagine if we went into the hospitals and into the banks and into the jobs we have and declared you are loved. Imagine if we showed the face of God each and every place we went in a world that uh, is ever uh, filled with more bad news. With more breaking tweets, more Instagram lives, more TikToks and Snapchats that bear witness to the brokenness. Imagine if we bore witness to the goodness. Would you pray with me? But by your grace, Lord, we are all depraved. We are all sinners. We are all one step from making that next mistake. And yet you offer your grace to all. Unreservedly and unashamedly. Without any need for us to earn it. 
or without any special election, you offer all your love and forgiveness. Lord, would you lavish us in your grace in supernatural ways and then through the everyday ordinary means of grace that we might be made holy, we might be made perfect in love, that we might love you and love our neighbor, that sin's reign would cease and that in and through us the world would see your face and know your love. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.